Good morning, friends. How are we? Good. It is good to be with you. Uh, it's an exciting thing for me to do this. Uh, like he said, my name is Caleb. Uh, my name is Caleb Kinney. Caleb with a K. So if you didn't think it was that way, you're wrong. Um, let's see. Uh, uh, a little bit about me. I'm from uh, Canadian County. Grew up, uh, born and raised, home of Garth Brooks. What's up? Um, pretty cool. Um, met my wife uh, here in Yukon. She's pretty redhead over here. Don't know how I got her. Still trying to figure that out. Um, I asked her out for like three months. She said no. And I just eventually showed up at her house and never left. And three kids later, uh, I went. So, um, feels pretty good. We do have three small children. Uh, I have a daughter. Uh, she turns 11 tomorrow, which is terrible. Uh, her name is Rosalind. And I have a six-year-old son named Wallace. And I have a feral three-year-old child son um, named, uh, named Rhodes. And I thought I was a good parent. And I just had a daughter first. And I don't know what I'm doing every day. That kid, my goodness. Um, anyways, um, but yeah, I grew up, grew up around here. Uh, I've known Logan and Kelsey a long time. So very thankful uh, to get to do this and serve with you. Um, I have had the history of uh, lucky to be able to serve on several churches um, in my time. I grew up at my dad's associate pastor of a church here in Yukon, and uh, everyone knows my dad and uh, very, very thankful for them. Went and served at a very large church in Norman, um, got to experience the mega church thing, did that, and then I went from there to a church plant um, in downtown Oklahoma City. And so being a part of seeing stuff that's set up and torn down every week resonates very deeply and uh, it was a great experience uh, I got to be there I was there for seven years and we eventually moved to 23rd Street um, where we are a very uh, multicultural inner city church and was part of that for seven years on the teaching team able to do that and I still get to teach there uh, several times a year uh, we're back in Yukon attending a church and I'm on a teaching team at a, te a church in Moore and, uh, and I just kind of speak wherever I did a VBS uh, the past couple days so the fact that you all are not rolling around on the ground right now while I'm talking feels like a huge win to me. Um, I feel like we're really getting somewhere right now. Um, so did that. So now I just kind of go where anyone asks. So Logan was like, do you want to speak? I was like, yeah. I mean, whatever, if you don't have anyone else. Um, so I just kind of go where anyone asks me. And it's great because I can go and talk and I can't be fired because I don't work anywhere. So um, it's a wonderful thing. I can kind of get away with uh, stuff and it's great. I do have to say this, anytime I go to a new place and speak, there's kind of like this part of speaking somewhere where you have to introduce yourself and do that kind of part. And you're like, you have this amount of minutes, but I always have to do this one thing whenever I'm new somewhere to get it out of the way. So, because if I don't do this, you'll be sitting there wondering the whole service. I won't hear anything I have to say. So if you're looking at me and you're like, something looks off about that guy. There's something about his face that isn't right. You're right. Okay, uh, any of you seen the movie uh, Christmas Story? You know this movie? And what's the, he wants a BB gun, and why can't he have that BB gun, right? So shoot your eye out. You're like, ah, that's a funny movie thing. Shot my eye out. That was me, okay? I'm four years old. I'm playing superheroes with my brother, and I tell him, hey, pretend I can climb trees, which that was the superhero power I chose, the ability to climb a tree. Says a lot about me. Um... And I turned around and told him, and we were swinging sticks on ropes and didn't fully understand the laws of physics. Not that I get it now. Um, but he lets go. I turn around and lights out. And uh, I went through three surgeries, and they removed it. And it, it's all right. God gave me a sense of humor. I'd run up to kids at Chuck E. Cheese and be like, you see my eye? 
they'd be like, yeah. Like, and they'd run away crying. And uh, I use it to my advantage in school. I would sleep every day in class like this. And I got called out like one time and she was like, are you sleeping? I was like, no, man, that's my fake eye. And she was like, I'm so sorry. I was like, right back to sleep. Um, you know, it's a, it's a good time. I used to be able to shoot it out. It was full on Captain Ron. It was awesome. Um, so anyways, if you don't want to pay attention this morning, if you just want to check out on your phone, I suggest moving to this side because I don't know what's going on over here, okay? So anything that happens over here, you are free to do whatever you want today. Um, we'll have a good time. I am thankful to Logan and the team for letting me do this. Thanks so much. It means the world to me. If you notice, I talk quickly, okay? Um, if you're wondering, is he going to slow down when we get into it? I am not, okay? Uh, I talk fast. I used to I used to meet people like, what do I do to slow down? And, just, and then and everyone was like giving me tips on how to slow down and, you know, and all these things. Then I met one pastor who talked faster than I did. And I was like, what do you, how do you do it? And he's like, you just go. And I was like, all right. So we're just going to go quickly this morning. Are you all right with that? So you're going to have to pay attention. We're going to grip and rip. Are you ready to go, church? Yeah, let's get after it. Hey, let's welcome the king into the room and then we'll get into this book, okay? Lord Jesus, we welcome you into this room, God. We welcome you in and we pray the enemy out. God, he has no stronghold here. We recognize the enemy has a voice, but he doesn't get a vote for the followers of Jesus in this room. So God, we pray him out. All the distractions that could come our way this morning, the difficulties of our week, the struggles at work, whatever it be, whether it's financial or marriage or issues with our kids, God, or maybe it's just that load of laundry we keep spinning in the dryer because we don't want to fold it. Whatever it is, God, we pray it out. Whatever lies in front of us, we pray it out. And for this moment, as your word says, God, that the eyes of the Lord are roaming the earth, searching to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to you. Jesus, would you stop roaming this morning? Stop roaming the earth and rest in this church because in this room, there are hearts that are fully committed to you. So would you strengthen us this morning? I pray that we walk out of this room a little bit differently in the way we walked in. In your name we pray, amen. All right, let's get after it. We are in a new series called Uncommon Sense, Lessons from the Proverbs. And I was the first one and so I was like, which Proverbs have been taken? He's like, none yet. So I get like the pick of all of them. And I was like, all right, I picked mine. And I was excited and I start diving in. And I'm like, how do you teach a chapter of Proverbs? You know what I mean? So I was like, before we get into this, we got to know what is a proverb? Why, why Proverbs? Why do they exist, right? Now, there are a group of books in the Old Testament that we call the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, okay? They are things like Job. We have things like Psalms. We have Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon's, and Proverbs. These are things like if you want real wisdom of just like how to live your everyday life, you go to one of these five books. Now, the Proverbs are very unique, right? I don't know if you've ever spent any time with them. Like a psalm a day is like refreshing and a proverb a day is like, huh? You know what I mean? And so it's like they're very, basically the book of Proverbs is this. If you never dove into it, I'm not like sitting up here in front of me like everyone in this room has probably read Proverbs four or five times. This is probably not the case. Like we all have questions of what's going on. I don't know what's happening in like numbers. That stuff's crazy. So I assume we don't have it all figured out. But Proverbs is unique. It's a bunch of individual statements without a bunch of context, without a bunch of structure or order or topic. It's just practical life wisdom. Now, this is important to understand here because I've been to churches and I've read stuff. It's like, I need to get this proverb because if I do this proverb, it'll help me and this will do this. A proverb is not some magical solution to anything, okay? How do I know this? Because the book of Proverbs tells me the Proverbs are not magical. Because in Proverbs 26, it says this, 
Like a lame man's legs, which hang useless, is a proverb in the mouth of fools. And so every time I read a proverb, I'm like, huh, this is what I should do. I think like my left eye is useless and not good for anything. So this proverb in the wrong state of mind isn't going to help me out. You know what I mean? Just because I know something doesn't mean I know how to execute it. So this is important. So what is the purpose of Proverbs? Well, the book of Proverbs tells us in the first chapter. So if someone's doing this, I'm taking some of their part because we're not going to be in chapter one today, but I'm stealing part of this because I'm the first one and that's the way it goes. So Proverbs chapter one, verse two says, why, why do we have Proverbs? What are they for? They're for attaining wisdom and discipline, for understanding words of insight, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, for doing what is right, and just and fair for giving prudence to the simple knowledge and discretion to the young let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables the saying and riddles of the wise so why do the proverbs exist to help us to do things fair to help us to live justly to give i love it the this verse is my favorite for giving prudence to the simple i'm like kind of stuck um, I love that. Well, give me a little piece of wisdom, you know, that kind of thing like that. So this is what it's for. So where are we going to be hanging out this morning? We are going to be in Proverbs chapter 10. Okay. Proverbs chapter 10. If you have a Bible, you can open up to that. If you have an iPhone, you can hop off Instagram and get on the Bible app and do that. Um, if uh, not, I'll have some on the screen. We're going to look at this proverb and there's a lot to unpack and there are 30 something verses and I couldn't go through all of them. Okay. So I, what I've done is I've kind of picked ones that all have the same theme. We're going to compare and contrast with these Proverbs. Are you with me? Yeah, let's get into it. Put the first verse up there, would you? It says this, tainted wealth has no lasting value, but right living can save your life. Go to the next verse, please. It says this, the Lord will not let the godly, your verse may say righteous, uh, go hungry, but he refuses to satisfy the craving of the wicked. Next verse. The godly or the righteous are showered with blessing. The words of the wicked conceal violent intentions. Next verse. We have happy memories of the godly or righteous, but the name of the wicked person rots away. Next verse. You getting a theme here? Comparing and contrasting? The words of the godly are a life-giving fountain. The words of the wicked conceal violent intentions. Next one. The earnings of the godly enhance their lives, but the evil people squander their money on sin. Next verse. The words of the godly are like sterling silver. The heart of a fool is worthless. Next verse. The words of the godly encourage many, but fools are destroyed by their lack of common sense. Give me the next one. It says the fear of the wicked will be fulfilled, but the hopes of the godly will be granted. I think, is that the last one? I think that's the last one. Nope. Oh. When the storms of life come, the wicked are whirled away, but the godly have a lasting foundation. Next verse. The hopes of the godly result in happiness, but the expectations of the wicked come to nothing. We do that more. The godly will never be disturbed, but the wicked will be removed from the land. And I think we have, yeah, the mouth of the godly person gives wise advice, but the tongue that deceives will be cut off. The lips of the godly speak helpful words, but the mouth of the wicked speak perverse words. The it. And you're like, all right, let's build a sermon out of that. Thanks, Logan. Yeah. <laughs> I dove into this proverb, and I've been looking at it the past couple of weeks. And um, if uh, one thing I like to know is I like to figure out um, how things work. I want to know 
why this is. I got to try to figure it out. In fact, the reason I'm a follower of Jesus is because I couldn't figure him out. And, uh, and I finally was like, well, if I figure him out, then I'm God and I'm not going to do that. And that's why like, I, I want to learn forever. I, I, I don't think I'm going to get to heaven and know everything. I'm just, otherwise I'm gonna be like, Jesus, you're sitting in my seat and that ain't going to happen. You know what I mean? So, um, I want to do this forever. I want to learn. So I went down big rabbit holes here of a contrast between this. So it either says godly or it says righteous. And I, I looked at this contrast of between the righteous and the wicked. Now, naturally, as the reader of this proverb, when you're reading it, who do you relate to in the story? Like, we're like, okay, I'm not reading it. I'm like, the righteous does this, but the wicked does this. Usually the person I am in this story is the righteous one, right? I'm never being like, you know, I'm the wicked, vile person in this story. Like, that's not how we read the story, right? We're going to side with the good guy. We're going to say, this is written to us. And here's how I know this. You're reading Proverbs, right? If you're reading this, you're siding with the righteous because you're taking the time to read Proverbs. No one's paying you to read Proverbs. You're not required to read Proverbs. There's not any specific reason for you to read Proverbs other than the fact that we believe all scriptures God breathed. He was teaching me being correcting and training righteousness. So let's get into the Proverbs every once in a while. Why not? So we're going to side with the righteous in this. That led me down another rabbit hole of wondering what this means. Um, when I look at this word righteous, okay, I'm taken to this idea of, um, we call them church words. You know what I'm talking about? When I say church words, like, why don't you do this? Why don't you turn to the person next to you and tell them what's a word that you used in church a lot that only church people use? You know what I mean? Church phrases church words, something like that. We're like, you say it outside of church. People don't understand. I'm going to give you 25 seconds to the person next to you. I'm like, what's a church word that we use or church phrase or saying 25 seconds go. And what? So I really like this idea. Um, for my capstone class in college, okay, we had to go and study speech communities, okay? So a speech community is a group of people that say and talk things that if you're not in that community, you don't understand. So we had to do one speech community that we would get, like we were familiar with, and another speech community that we had no recollection of, didn't fit in, anything like that. So... The one I chose, I was when I did um, barbershops. So I went and hung out in inner city barbershops. Let me tell you, I didn't know anything they were talking about at first. I had to go ask a bunch of them. They were like, no, no. A bunch of people said, I was like, hey, I'm just going to come in and observe, write about the things you talk about, the things that, you know, the different kind of language things. And some people were like, get out of here. You're a cop. Like, I'm not like Justin. You know what I mean? Like, it was like, they didn't trust me. But I found one and they did. And I would go and I would sit in the barbershop and I would... And I, me and my buddy Brett, and we would like take all these notes and do all these things and uh, learned all about these different speech community, different things they say. And then I got to do one on something that I knew and I grew up in a church. And so I was like, I'm going to use church talk. And we do things and say things if you've grown up in church or spending time in church that other people don't understand. We have these church words that we just say. And after a while, you say them enough, they lose their meaning, right? Would you agree? Like any of you have children and like you tell them something and the first time they're afraid of it. You know what I mean? And then you keep telling them and they're just like, I'm just going to keep doing like, don't jump off the couch. You're going to break both your legs. And they're like, I won't. And then they do it and they realize they don't. And all those threats come less and less and less. And then they just 
stop listening to me and it's summertime and it's 10 a.m. and I'm ready for bedtime. You know what I mean? So these are the things like this. So I think a church words and phrase. My wife, we uh, she led a small group when she was in high school or in college and she had a foreign exchange student who was in her small group. And she showed up at some like Bible study or whatever and the person leading was like, all right, everyone's get together. We'll pray and we'll get going. And they start praying and she gets nervous and she starts looking around and is asking to borrow someone's phone. She's like, hey, I got to call my host parents. And she, they're like, why? She's like, I didn't realize it was already over. I need them to come pick me up. We're like, oh, no, that's just what church people say. Get going means we're going to get started and get into the Bible. She's like, why would you say we're going to leave? Like, she just didn't connect. You know what I mean? Like these little church phrases you say like this, like uh, like when we say we just need community with one another. You go say that to a random person. They're like, what, what is that? What does that mean? You know what I mean? These kind of things. We do like church humor. Me and my friends would do church humor all the time. Like, you know, we'd be playing basketball and if they let you shoot a three without guarding, you're like, he can't make it. And you make it, you're like, why do you doubt, Thomas? Come on. Like, you got you to gotta play defense. You know what I mean? Like, we would use church humor all the time. Anytime someone read the verse about a plank in someone's eye, everyone's looking to Caleb. And I'm just like, here I am. You know what I mean? Like, we use these kind of things. We have certain ways we speak. And this word righteous to me is one of these church words, right? Like if I said, like, what's righteous mean? I think I would get like 35 different definitions if I just asked you all this question. What does it mean? So in fact, I was asking my daughter about this and she was like, oh, I don't know, dad. It's a, we, it was like a vocab word at my school one time. Like she was like going all these things. She was trying to figure it out. And I was like, let's just go to the uh, dictionary here, right? Because when I hear the word righteous, I think of like a few things. I think of church. I think of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. And I think of Crush from Finding Nemo. Those are the things that I think of when I hear righteous. You know, I asked my son, I was like, what's the word righteous? And he's like, that's what the turtle says in Finding Nemo, Dad. And I was like, okay, good, good thing. Good, all that Bible stuff is really sticking, son. Um, so here's what the definition of it says. It says morally right or justifiable. That's what the word righteous means. Morally right or justifiable. It also means this, acting in accordance with divine or moral law, otherwise being free from guilt and sin. So I went and looked at this. What does it mean? It means to be the word righteous that we just read all these things over, godly or righteous. This whole chapter is about seeing the righteous versus the wicked. And as the readers, we always side with we're the righteous person in this because I'm going to the Proverbs to try to get some advice how to live. I'm not going to the Proverbs to figure out how to be more wicked, right? Because everything's going to tell me it's going to go bad. So when I read Proverbs, I'm siding with the righteous person. I'm in the seat of the righteous. So what does it mean to be right or justified? And here's what I've, I've come to realize in all my time in church that most Christians, 99.4% of us, fit into one of two categories. We are either the legalist category or we are the struggler category. I really think we've come down to two types of believers, a legalist or a struggler. Now, both are not good, okay? So the legalist would be like this. The legalist believes I'm right and you're wrong. And my rightness, my ability to be right, makes you more wrong. And the way I read this book and the way I comprehend this book, and I know God's teachings, I have them all solved. And so everything I do is right. And if you do something different than me, you're wrong. Have any of us ever met anyone like this? Right? We know believers like this. And here's what I, here's, can I just tell you why you're wrong? Um, here's how I believe this is a right, okay? I can't wait to get to heaven and find out everything I'm wrong about. It's most. Okay? And woe to the pastor that stands in front of you claiming he's got Romans solved. You know, I always say, if I couldn't recognize Jesus on the way to Emmaus, I don't have 1 Corinthians figured out. I don't. I want to get to heaven and you'll know where I'm at because I'm going to be walking around following Jesus being like, 
Why'd you do this? How'd you do this? What does this mean? How? What does that? Look, what does it look like? Why'd you do this? He's gonna be like, go bother Peter. And I'm gonna run and be like, Peter, did you really cut that guy's ear off? You walked on water for a minute. What was that like? You denied him three times. What cuss word did you say? And he's gonna be like, stop. Like that's gonna be. I want to know this stuff. And my dad's always, my my dad thinks he's like, we're gonna get to heaven. And everything's gonna be revealed to us. And I'm like, no, I want to teach forever. I'm gonna go bother Paul. I want to figure everything out. Like I love to. Figure all this stuff out, which can I ruin Paul for you? Can I give you the historical description of Paul? He was a short, balding, my man, uh, had a a hooked nose, a hobble when he walked, and a high cackling laugh. Yeah, next time you think of Paul, think of, "Ah!" like, (laughs) we just ruined the New Testament. Um, Okay. But I think we're going to, I mean, I don't have this figured out. And woe to the person that's like, I'm so right about this book. I'm like, you know, I don't read this book. God's truth is the same, but God reveals himself very different to all of us. Would you agree? Like if I was, like I was born and raised in Canadian County, right? So if I go and meet someone from Duke, Oklahoma, I'm a football coach for a very small school. We go to these small towns. They're going to read and see the Bible very differently than me, let alone Mumbai, India, right? So woe to the person that's like, I've got this solved. I'm right and my rightness about this makes everyone else wrong. That's the legalist. And then you have the struggler. And I fit in this category. And I feel like most believers fit in the category of strugglers. And our default position as strugglers is to believe that God is disappointed and frustrated with us. Anyone relate to this? Like, here's what I do. I I have to preach the gospel myself all the time. I I still struggle with this thing. I still believe God's going to love the future version of Caleb more than the one right now. Anyone ever been there? God's going to love the Caleb that doesn't struggle with this sin. God's going to love the Caleb that's a better husband. God's going to love the Caleb that's a more patient dad. God's going to love the Caleb that's a better teacher. God's going to love the Caleb that's a better neighbor. God's going to love the Caleb that's a better this. And once I'm that, God will love that version of Caleb more than the one right now. And Ephesians 1 says that before the earth's foundation was laid, he was going to adopt you and make you holy and blameless. So whether you've had a good week or a bad week, God's not disappointed in the way in which you walked in this room. And you may be like Caleb, but you don't know what I'm struggling with. You don't know what I brought in here and how horrible it is. Well, this book says that God paid the bill in full. So that's nonsense. So our position as strugglers or thinking that we're so right, I was diving into scripture and I was like, this is actually all solved all in one verse. Romans 5.9 actually eliminates both the legalist and the struggler on how we view this idea of what it means to be right in Christ. Because in Romans 5.9, it says this, now for, therefore, now we have been justified. How? by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Three words, some of the most important words in the whole Testament, by his blood. Nothing about your effort in that verse at all. Nothing about your might, your religious stamina, your ability to clean yourself up. You and I have been saved by an act of God. Bottom line, guys, we have not earned right standing in front of God by our effort or our cleaning up of our lives. There's no verse you can memorize, scripture you can read, song you can sing, podcast you can listen to, time you can spend in prayer. None of that gets us right sitting before God. We are justified by an act of God. So whether you think you've got all this figured out and that makes you right, or you think God's going to love the future version of you more right now, all of that's been eliminated. God did it for you. All of it. So when we understand that, this is why later on that verse was to say, it says we boast in the cross and the cross alone. That's it. All of our boasting is done on the cross because we have not made ourselves righteous. There is no act or justified being right that has made us righteous. It is only God that's done that. So 
I would say this. If we had nothing to do with our making ourselves right, whether you stand on the side with, well, I know all of this and that makes me right. No, by his blood, you were made right. And if you're a struggler like me, thinking God's going to love the future version of you more than the one right now, he says, no, by my blood, I made you right. God made us right. I didn't make us right. We are only found right in Christ and righteousness is only a thing because of what Christ did on the cross. That means that I am not righteous, but Christ has made me so through his actions on the cross. Now, I believe that radically changes the way that we read Proverbs chapter 10 because we just read a bunch of verses comparing contrasting righteousness with wickedness. So what I want to do now is I want to walk back through some of these things. I'm going to read them here. And we're going to forget about the wicked part because most of us aren't trying to reconcile with ourselves being the wicked who are being to be thrown out. Let's look at what the righteous thing, understanding that we are not righteous, but Christ has made us so through his actions. And I think it changes the way in which we would read these verses that we just read a moment ago. It says this, but righteousness delivers from death. So if we're just reading that verse, we're like, yeah, our righteousness would deliver us from death. No, we just eliminated that. Do I deliver myself from death? No. Do I have the ability to do that? I don't have the power of life and death. I can't resurrect anything, but Christ can. And that's the good news. So what does that verse really say? But righteousness, but Christ delivers us from death. This is why when he says verses like, uh, he says the same power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in those who would believe. And those verses that we love to read but don't actually believe them, when Jesus says you will do even greater things than I, we read that verse and we go, yeah, right. But this is the power. Why? Because the righteousness delivers from death. And the next one, it says this, the Lord does not let the righteous go hungry. So is it my ability to do that? Is it my ability to make myself go? No. In fact, what does scripture say? It says the only thing that God promises to us as believers is that he will sustain us. This is the fallacy in the thing that we grew up believing, right? We grew up believing like there's this God-shaped hole and you're going to try this and you're going to try this and you're going to try this and none of that will satisfy you until you try God. And I hear that and I say, yes, but what happens when the person tries God and then they get cancer? Because what we've done is we've painted this picture that once we choose Jesus, that everything's going to be perfect and right. And this is not ever the promise of God. All he promised to us to sustain us. And how does God sustain us? Through the working of a son. That's how he sustains us. So the righteous are sustained. We will never go hungry. Doesn't mean we'll never have needs. Because what does he say? One day he'll come back and make all things new. And hallelujah, we long for the day. But right now God promises to sustain us. And we are sustained by his spirit that comes through his son. The righteous won't go hungry. Blessings crown the head of the righteous. Blessings crown the head of the righteous. Well, I know scripture tells me that for all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God, all these things, I am only right. So the only blessings I have come from God because only good comes from God. So when I read that verse, it's not about the crown of my heads that come from blessing. It's about what Christ gave me and blesses me with. That's my blessing. It says the name of the righteous is used in blessing. Listen to this, friends. My name isn't used in blessing. My name is, because I've said yes to Jesus, my name has been written in the book of life. And this is the most incredible thing. When it talks about being written in the book of life, it says you'll be written here or there. Your name's going to be written somewhere and it's either going to last or it's going to fade. That's what the name of the blessing is. We got to move some of these a little faster. Here we go. It says, uh, uh, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. That can, if, I, if you're just reading this Proverbs on your own, 
without this idea of what makes you righteous, what are we going to say when we read that? Yeah, my words bring life to people. Ask my wife. She would disagree about Caleb's words bringing life. You know, and you know how many times she's like, did you think before you said that? And I got to be honest and be like, I didn't, I just said it. You know what I mean? Like, like our, we would say our words bring life, but this is not so. It's the words of Christ through us that do that. It's Christ through our words that bring life. We're able to breathe life through that. It says the wages of the righteous is life. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. My t- no, James gives us a whole book basically about how to control your tongue. So when we read this proverb, it's not my tongue that's doing it, but it's Christ on my mouth doing it. That's why we say we carry the gospel on our hands and our feet and our lips to advance the kingdom of Jesus. That's what it does. It says the lips of the righteous nourish many. That's why we speak the things of Jesus. And here's, here's what I mean. Uh, the lips of the righteous nourish many. This is so important because I think what we want to do is we can read this passage and we're like, I can really help people by my words. I can fix people's situation by my words, by my righteousness. I'm here to tell you that Romans chapter 12 is an entire chapter telling us that, guys, we can't fix anything in this world. We can't even fix ourselves. Christ is having to do that. That's why every time I see like radio preacher guy railing against America and how we got to get out and fix this country, I'm like, uh, you couldn't even fix yourself. Christ is going to have to do that. I've never met anyone who's struggling with a sin, defeat that sin, trying to defeat that sin. What you do is you fall in love with Jesus and let him take care of all that. This is what the righteous means. This is what it means, friends. It says, what the righteous desire will be granted. It's why Jesus said, ask and it'll be given to you. Ask and it'll be given to you. But the righteous stand firm forever. It's why he gives an example. You can build your house on sand or stone. Which one do you want to pick? My righteousness isn't going to allow me to stand firm forever, but me in Christ will. The prospect of the righteous is joy. And what is joy? It is a fruit of the what? Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit comes from the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes from the Father. And the Father sent us His Son. All of our joy is a result of what Christ did for us. There is no right way you can act that would bring yourself joy. It is only Christ in us. The righteous will never be uprooted. It's why it says, The Lord is my rock and my shelter. This church is literally an example of that. You want to be not be uprooted? Because the Lord is your refuge. That's why you'll never be uprooted. That's why. It says this, the lips of the righteous know what finds favor. We trust always. This is why it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll do what? He'll make your paths straight. It's not you. Can I just give you this encouragement as we dive into the book of Proverbs over the next month? Be so careful when you read it to remember that it's all about Jesus always. It's always been Jesus, it's still Jesus, and it's always going to be Jesus every time. And when we get lost reading the Proverbs and we put ourselves in the shoes of the righteous, we lose our ability to reach the world because we no longer look like them because they're wicked and we're right. And Jesus in Matthew 5 said, you've been told this, I'm here to say we're all welcomed at the table of God. So be so careful when we read. Prepare your hearts this month. That's my encouragement for you. That's what I want to challenge you with, and I'm going to wrap up. As we dive into the Proverbs, prep your heart for it. Remember that we're only righteous in Christ. I have not done anything to earn it, and if I'm struggling and don't believe I deserve it, he took care of all of that. By his blood, we have been made right through him. So I want to encourage you this morning with this. My prayer for this church is understand that we are not doing the things of the righteous, but Christ did them. And now is continuing to do things 
through the hands and feet of his church. That's what I believe. I believe we should all be filled with so much gratitude for what God did. Because of what Christ did, we are now delivered from death, this proverb tells us. We are sustained. We are able to speak life. We have joy. We will never be uprooted. And I know the great thing about this, this proverb, why I chose it, is because every single one of us in this room fit a category that I just read that we need God to do something in. And I don't, I don't know you, but I know that there are someone in this room who are struggling this week, that I know, who you walked in tired, exhausted, and that mountain in front of you feels like there's no way through it. And I'm here to remind you that through this proverb, what does it say? That the righteous will be sustained. And maybe this morning you just need to thank God. But God, I thank you for sustaining me in this season. My wife and I have been talking that a lot. It has been a difficult few months just with things going on, our family and our work and all those things. And we're like, God, we need you to sustain us in this season. Thank you, God, that the righteous are sustained. Maybe you're in this room and you, someone you know is, someone you love is struggling in some way or another. Maybe they're struggling in their marriage or friction between them and their kids or work or finances or Maybe they got an awful diagnosis. Whatever it is, they're struggling. And maybe you need to be the one who are able to go and speak life. Maybe you need to understand this proverb that says, the righteous will speak life. Maybe you need to pray this morning, God, would you fill my heart with righteousness that comes from you and allow me to speak life and breathe life into somebody who needs it, somebody who I love. Can I say, somebody that you love needs you to speak life into them this week. Would you beg God to bring them into your path this week? give you the boldness and courage to do that the wisdom to do that maybe you're saying man life's been exhausting and i've lost that joy maybe this precious proverb says the righteous bring joy maybe you just need to where you're at this morning ask god would you renew the joy of my salvation this yeah. would you give me that same passion i once had would you renew the joy of my salvation in me god so i know that whether legalist or struggler, we're reminded and we give thanks that by his blood we are made right. And my prayer is that may we be a church. May we be a church that as we go through the Proverbs, we are filled with gratitude. And we use these things not as advice for us in our daily life, but we use them to enhance our ability to be the hands and the feet of Jesus as we advance the kingdom everywhere we go. So can I pray for you this morning here? Can I just pray over you this morning? God, I just pray over this church. I thank you for Refuge Church. I thank you for what you're doing in the hearts of these people. God, I understand that this room is filled with a lot of different things. This room is filled with people who are thankful. God, make us, would you fill us with gratitude this morning that we have been delivered from death. The righteous have been delivered from death by your blood, Jesus. God, I pray for those who see themselves as the struggler this morning, who believe God's going to love the future version of them more than one right now. God, would you set them free from that? Help them to understand that before the earth's foundation was laid, you were going to adopt them and make them holy and blameless in your sight. Would you do that over them this morning? God, for those who are walking through some kind of struggle this morning, who are exhausted in this room, God, would you sustain them this morning? For somebody they know and somebody they love who is walking through something, God, would you give us the boldness to speak life, to breathe life into somebody this week? God, I pray that we would be the hands and feet of Jesus, knowing that through you and your son, you have made us right in your eyes. 
So instead of being proud, may we be filled with gratitude and filled with passion to advance your kingdom wherever we go. Would you bring people into our circle this week who need life breathed into them, who need righteousness through the cross of Jesus. And God, I pray that we walk out of this room a little differently than the way we walked in. I ask this in your name. Amen.